0: We're starting a new series this morning called This Is Jesus. And it's going to be three weeks. And what we're doing in the book of John, there is actually seven different times that Jesus says, I am, and you fill in the blank. So he says, I am the light of the world. Or I am the doorway. Or I am the truth, the light, and the way. And this morning we're actually going to be talking about when Jesus says, I am The bread of life. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 6, um, 25 uh, through 35. And before I want to read it, because I don't have time to read the whole chapter, I just want to kind of give you a little bit of context, a little history about what's going on. Um, We actually talked about it if you've been with us in the Reach series. uh, We shared a little bit of the story, but how many remember when Jesus takes five loaves of bread and two fish and he multiplies them? Okay, so this story just happens. Jesus just multiplies these five loaves and these two fish to all these people, and all these people witness this incredible miracle, and Jesus is tired. And so after this, he hops in a boat, and it says that he gets in a boat and he goes all the way across the Sea of Galilee, Galilee, to try to get away from all these people. Well, the people find out that he's going across the sea, so they follow him. And this is where we pick up in verse 25. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along with us on the screen. And it says this, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them Truly truly I say to you you are seeking me not because you saw signs but because not because you saw signs but because you ate your fill of the loaves Do not labor for the food that perishes just kind of check that off that's going to be important later Do not labor for the food that perishes but for the food that endures to eternal life which the son of man will give you for on him God the Father has set his seal Then they said to him What must we do to be doing the works of God Jesus answered him, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do? You ever do that with Jesus? All right, God, I want to believe in you, but give me something, right? Give me a sign. So they say, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written, and he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Huge verse right there. And um, before we get into the rest of this message and kind of break this down, I want to set something up for you. Um, I want to take this passage and kind of just uh, expound on a few things before we go back into it. Um, So philosophers have this term that they call hyper-reality. And basically what it is, it is a term that is basically saying a false reality. You ever know people that just kind of live in this false reality? world, or this false reality, or they set these false expectations for themselves. Like, they're like, I want to be a millionaire, but they continue to work at McDonald's and blow all their money on video games. You know what I'm saying? Like, they have this false idea of what their life can become, but they're not working towards anything. Um, Hyperreality is an exaggerated life. It's a presentation of life that actually exceeds the reality of life. Hyperreality basically captures our imagination, um, and it convinces us that life could be like this. A false reality is maybe we're kind of sold this bill of goods by pictures and media and social media. You ever, you know, you scroll through somebody's page on Facebook and you're like, man, their life is just so interesting. But you know, they're kind of like editing it. You know, they're only putting the good, the good moments, the snapshots. And you kind of feel horrible about your life because so-and-so is eating a steak dinner. And, you know, you just finished like eating a, a frozen hot dog or something. You know what I'm saying? Hyperreality is a world that is presented to our senses through stories, symbols, and pictures. And those things that are presented to us are actually more attractive than the things they represent. Right? Um, so let me, let me give you a few examples, and I'm going to give you three of them. Um, the first one is this. You ever go into a bookstore, and you walk in, and you see this magazine rack. And on this magazine rack is like these flawlessly sculpted people. You know what I'm saying? Like their faces are like the perfect size, the perfect color. Their bodies are perfectly chipped, just perfect. Um, In 2010, I I worked kind of in that world where um, I was actually the guy that would edit people's faces and put it on a magazine. Okay, so here's what you see when you walk into the magazine. You see these this 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 image that culture has defined, like, hey, this is the image that every woman should look like, or this is the image that every man should look like. But what you don't see behind it is the um, the professional photographer that was hired, the uh, twenty thousand dollar lens that he puts on his camera, um, the right lighting that he sets up, the professional makeup artist that they bring in to kind of fix it all right. And then on top of that, they bring it to a guy who's like really gifted at Photoshop, so he takes away. Every blemish, um, he takes away curves, or maybe he adds curves where there needs to be curves. He does everything that he possibly can to sell you on this person looks this way. So by the time you get the final product, you believe it, but at the same time, you have no idea what's going on to get that image. Do you see what I'm saying? Um, and, and women oftentimes live under that tyranny because they have bought into this cultural standard of what beauty should look like. Um, and and a lot of times a lot of men buy into that and they keep their wives under that hold because they think, Hey, you should look like this when in reality it's, it's impossible because we don't all walk around with a professional makeup artist and, you know, photographers taking pictures of us with $20,000 lens and the right lighting and all that kind of stuff. Let me, let me give you another example. Um, anybody in here grew up watching the Cosby show? Anybody? Um, I was watching an episode in order to kind of prepare for this, and I noticed something, because I know a lot of people are like, it's kind of like this coin term, like, oh man, that's just a Cosby family. I mean, their family is just so perfect, you know, it's just, it's kind of like the Cosby show. Um, Here's, I don't know if you ever realized this, um, the dad on the Cosby show was a doctor, and the mom was a lawyer. So obviously two kind of prized uh, professions in our culture. But they were always home. (laughs) Like a doctor is a really busy guy. A lawyer is a really busy person. Yet they were always home. And then if you ever notice, like their kids like never defied them, right? And every episode almost ends with the mom and dad in bed, like giggling, laughing, snuggling, and then going to bed. Like everything was fine. If you're married and you have kids in here, you know that's not the case, (laughs) You know you know, you got nights where you turn over and you're like, I swear to God, if she touches me, I will kick her out of this bed. So then what happens? You, you see this show and you're like, man, when I grow up one day, I want to have a family like that. I want to be that husband. I want to be that wife. And then you get married and what happens? Because you've bought into this hyper-reality, this cultural standard. You've been sold this bill of goods. And then you get married and reality sets in. You're like, whoa. Well, why is my oldest son like, not doing what I'm telling him to do. Why is my husband not responding, or why is my wife not responding like I need her to? You're presented with this vision of a family life that is just not real. So, so let me give you uh, another example. Um, maybe when you were a little girl, you grew up watching... These Disney movies. Any little, any girls in here? You grew up watching the Disney movies, Um, where these beautiful princesses or these beautiful girls always fall in love with this handsome prince. And what is the story? And they lived. Come on, they lived happily ever after. You ever notice in these uh, Disney movies, or even these movies, these these romance novels, or whatever? there's no hint of, like, marital conflict. It's always they lived happily ever after. There's, there's never a hint of, like, a messy home, right? There, there's never a hint of, like, and they paid bills and went to school and went. There's never any of that. It's always they lived happily ever after. So if you're a little girl growing up watching those things, you have this expectation, this, this hyperreality of what your life should be like when you get married. He's just going to whisk me away and he'll work and everything will be fine. And, and like you create this reality that is just false. Everywhere you look, you see hyper hyper-reality. Every, everywhere you w- look, you see this false reality. A mirage of life that inflates our expectations about what life is supposed to be like. How we're supposed to look or, or the relationships that we're supposed to have. The money that we should make, or the toys and gadgets that we're supposed to own, maybe the sexual experience that we're supposed to have. You have this hyper reality of, like, this is what I want. All these exciting, exhilarating things that you're supposed to constantly be experiencing if we're going to have this life that is going to be happy and fulfilled. That is hyper reality. And I wonder today, including myself, how many of you in here have bought into that? How many of you have bought into this false reality, this hyper-reality? Maybe it's a version of your marriage or the career that you're supposed to have. Maybe it's a hyper-real version of a Christian life because, you know, maybe before you came here, you were sitting down on your sofa doing church, you know, on TV and every TV guy is always, hey, your life is going to be good, it's going to be prosperous, it's going to be blessed, it's going to be... And they always fail to mention that there's going to be suffering, there's going to be trials, there's going to be times when God may withhold healing from you at certain moments. So you have this expectation that is so huge and so grand that it's not real. Where have you bought into hyper-reality? Where have you bought into a false reality? Because here's the problem with hyper-reality is it creates an intense discontentment in our lives. Hyper-reality creates a disdain for the ordinary and the mundane. Here's what happens. Let's Let's say you're a mom, okay? And you stay at home. Your schedule is pretty routine, right? It's pretty mundane, Let's just be honest, you get up in the morning, you drink coffee, you take care of kids, you clean clothes, you clean the house, you take care of your husband, and then what, what do you do? You do it over, and over, and over, and there may be, go like weeks, like you don't leave the house, and you're like, if I don't leave this house, I'm going to blow this house up, like, and you, and you know what happens? We get people that say, you know what, I don't want to raise my kids. It's just normal. That's ordinary. I see all these people that are just doing these extraordinary things and and visiting exotic places and having these fancy careers. And we begin to neglect the responsibilities because we call it normal. You know, we we begin to have a disdain for the ordinary because we're living this hyper real life. So you begin to crave the extraordinary, the exotic, the cool, the sexy, that whatever culture is selling you. You no longer want the wife that you have because she's too normal. You no longer want the uh, car that you have because Joe Schmo down the street just outdid you. You no longer want the house that you have because it's not big enough anymore. You no longer want the job that you have because you're not getting the paycheck that your neighbor's getting. Do, Do you see what I'm saying? Do you see how we've bought into this? You may be sitting here in this morning and say, well, I'm not buying into that. Whether you realize it or not, in some kind of subtle way, I think all of us in here have bought into it. And Facebook does a really good job at helping us buy into it even more. We get discontent with the things that are in our lives because the hyper-real version of life is so much greater and grander and more glamorous than the one we're experiencing. Right? The false reality is more intoxicating in the life that we're living right now. So what happens? Discontentment sets in. Disillusion sets in. A disdain for the ordinary and the normal. We end up comparing our everyday, normal, routine lives that are marked by commitment, responsibility, the kinds of things that every generation has, and we compare it to a false reality. So we live our lives trying to compare it to, you know, what we see on TV or what we see on the magazine or what we see on Facebook or what we see on Instagram. We live our lives that way saying that, man, so-and-so is just living this am- amazing, incredible, edited life. <laughs> and you begin to come dis- become discontent. And and it's hard for God to speak to you, and it's hard for um, you to see the promises of God that are being fulfilled in your life because you begin to crave something that is just never going to happen. You begin to say to yourself, my life is bland, it's boring, it's ordinary, it's simple. We're always comparing our lives to the edited digital lives of friends, wondering if we're missing out on something. So hyperreality is essentially this. I'll be happy when blank happens. I'll be happy when X happens. And here's the crazy thing. In that, let's say blank comes along. Then you go no, no, no. I'll be happy when blank happens. And then it happens. No, no, no. I'll be happy. Do you see what I'm saying? This cycle that just repeats for the rest of your life over and over and over. No matter how comfortable our lives become, no matter how big your bank account gets, we're always going to be looking for something more. We're always going to be looking for something bigger and better. The next hit, the next fill. Culture becomes the ultimate addiction. This downward spiral, always needing a bigger hit to satisfy the growing cravings and actually becoming less free in the process. So, so here's what happens is we begin to crave, crave this hyper-reality, this false reality of life, and we begin to work our butts off to get there. And we work, and we work, and we're, we're, we're wasting valuable time working for things that are not going to last. And by the time we actually achieve them, and we get them, then we look back and we either have like mounds of, of, of debt, or, or we have all these friends at one time that we're really close to, or a wife, or a kid that we've left on the wayside, because we're working so hard to try to live out this exaggerated life. Now, I'm sure there are some in here this morning who would say, that's me, I live in that world. I live in that false reality. I'm striving. I'm I'm constantly discontent. I'm constantly comparing my life to everyone else's life. I'm constantly comparing my marriage to everyone else's marriage. My bank account to everybody else's bank account. And we live in this continual state of uh, comparison creating this discontentment over and over. Instead of dealing with the heart issue of discontentment, we handle it by shopping. A- instead of dealing with the discontentment and the emptiness inside of our hearts, we we handle it by chasing money. So I mean, what what, what do you see all the time on on advertisements? You're unhappy? Buy this product. And you buy it, and it feels good for a moment. And and then what happens? That that product becomes old. And you you see the next advertisement. You're unhappy? Buy this product. Consumerism is an attempt to fulfill this hyper-real vision of life. We falsely believe happiness or personal fulfillment or satisfaction can be purchased. And can I be honest with you? A lot of these things that I'm talking about, I believe that it's not things that we just consciously, consciously come out and say them with our words. Do you know what I'm saying? But it's a constant toil on the inside that we struggle with. So, so to feel good about yourself, to feel like you're visible or, or, or you're valuable, you need to have the right look, Right? Um, you need to have the right clothes or the, the right accessories, the right car, the right house, the right vacation. I want you to get this one line because I think this is something um, that is going to be very pivotal. And it says this, hyperreality is the lure to happiness. So it's the bait. Hyperreality is the lure to happiness with the bitter sting of discontentment over and over again. So culture, what does it do? It baits you, and you bite it, and you go on in. And yet you find yourself discontent over and over and over again. Okay, so keep all this in mind, and I've built up for you, because I know by now some of you are probably asking, what in the world does it have to do with John 6? Everything. I think John 6 is actually very relevant to this culture. In John 6, Jesus is actually going to address our consumerism in this pa- passage. He invites us out of hyperreality and into God's reality. So in John 6, what do we see? We see Jesus performs a miracle um, to feed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. And what happens? The people, they like that. They like the fact that Jesus fed them. They like the fact that Jesus filled their bellies, right? So what do they do? They, they come looking for him, and they find him. And when they find him, what does Jesus do? He exposes their motives. L- l- let's read in uh, John six twenty six, twenty six 26, through 27. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, But because you ate your fill of the loaves, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. So what is he saying? He said, you're not following me because you're convinced of who I am. You're not seeking me because of who I am and what I have done and what I'm going to do. You're coming to me because of what I can give you. You're coming to me because of a consumeristic itch and you're hoping that I'm going to scratch it. He says, you want more food, you want more bread, and you want your bellies to be filled again. You're consumers. So what does Jesus do? He exposes their consumerism. Let's read again in verse 27. What does he say? He says, do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you. So these people have all these expectations put on Jesus. You don't have time to turn there. I'm just going to paraphrase it a little bit, but in, in, the, uh, in the book of Isaiah and even in Exodus, there's a prophecy that says, when, do you guys remember when the, the children of Israel are in the desert and, and Jesus allows manna to come down from heaven to feed them? There's a prophecy that says, hey, there's going to be a prophet that comes along, and he's going to make bread come down from heaven again, and that's the Messiah. He's the one that's going to restore all things. So you've got to realize what the people are seeing here. They're seeing, oh my gosh, Jesus just broke, there was five loaves, and now there's 5,000. So they're seeing, okay, he's Jesus. They have their own intentions in mind. Jesus, he's coming, he's coming to put Rome in order, he's coming to, to make us the world power, They're seeing how it's going to benefit them. That was a hyper real vision of what God would do at that time. He was going to do it, but it was just not in their timing. So, what does Jesus do? He addresses their consumerism and says, This is important this morning do not work for food that perishes. Do not work for food that perishes. In other words, don't spend your time and energy on stuff that has a shelf life. Don't spend your time and energy on something that has a shelf life and ultimately cannot sustain your joy. Don't, don't expend your life pursuing these experiences, hoping that they're going to satisfy you. We know they won't. We know it's food that perishes, right? We know all the things that a hyper-real world promises are food that perishes. Let's put it this way: The novel gets old, right? Today's fashion is just tomorrow's goodwill drop off. Do, do you realize that everything that you work your life towards will one day be in a dump? Do you get that? Do you get the fact that the clothes that you wanted so badly to make you feel so good will one day maybe be on a kid in Africa? Will one day be at a Goodwill store? Will one day be burned? That car that you want so badly and you're going to go into some crazy debt to get? Will one day be by the Baton Rouge Bridge being smashed? You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Where they go smash cars. Don't work for food that perishes. That trip, that vacation that you wanted, after it's over, all you got is a bunch of pictures and some credit card debt. (laughs) Right? That's food that perishes. Food that perishes does not ultimately satisfy your soul, does not bring joy. Now, here's the thing. Don't get me wrong. I don't want you to get the wrong perspective here. I'm not saying that going on a vacation is wrong. Okay, or, or having nice things is wrong. What I am saying, though, is if you put your hope and your joy in those things, it's going to fail you. It's food that perishes. It's it's food that has a shelf life. If you're a teenager in here, and, and your whole mentality is like, if I just had this kind of relationship, if I just had a boyfriend, if I just had a girlfriend, that whole mentality, that whole lifestyle is something that cannot carry you through sustainable joy a joy that's deep, meaningful lasting, eternal a bread that is eternal life that is something that we want Jesus says that bread is me he says I am the bread of life Pursue me and I will give you everlasting joy. Only Jesus and Jesus alone, he is the full life. He is the meaningful life. He is the abundant life. He is the blessed life. Him and him alone. Jesus says it's not found in anything that hyperreality is selling you. It's found in me. Now here's the contrast that that I kind of laid before you this morning. You have two things going on. Hyperreality says this if you want to have life, you've got to exert your energy and deplete your resources. You have to go broke in an attempt to find the life that consumerism promises you. That's hyperreality. Here's what Jesus says He says, No, no, no. I am the bread of life that will be given to you. You don't have to deplete your resources. You don't have to exert your energy. You don't have to go broke to have this bread. What does he say? I'll exert my energy. I'll deplete my resources. This bread will be broken for you. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to labor over it. All you have to do is receive it, and he gives it to you. That's the freedom of the gospel, Is this not you trying to be a good little person, a good little girl, or a good little boy and trying to work so hard to get to a place? It's you just trusting in Jesus and saying, God, I give up. I've been working and i got a lot of baggage. I I trust you. You see, here's what consumerism says. You've got to find life at cost to yourself. Here's what Jesus says. I'll give you life at cost to myself. I'll be broken so you can be made whole. I'll be cast out so that you can be brought in. I'll be condemned so that you can be forgiven. I'll be rejected so that you could be accepted. That's the generosity of the God that we serve. Here's the other problem with hyperreality is... It's all surface. There's just like this unbearable lightness to it. It's just this like, it's like this facade. I'm not a construction guy, but you guys know that stuff? It can't be stucco. It's like some fake stuff. I don't know what it is, but you know that stuff they spray on buildings and every single building that you see it on that you always see like The threads of it and the stuff just breaking out of it—it's like this cheap material. You know what I'm talking about? It's kind of like that. That's what hyper reality is. It looks good for a moment. There's this sheen to it. It's—it's kind of like you know you—you get the Apple phone or the iPhone. You're like, yes, oh. I've done that to like four phones. It's like all of a sudden that that, buter, that beauty, that, that glamour, that, that stuff that you wanted, and then you drop it. Hyperreality is all about image. It's all about surface, and it distracts us from the deeper and weightier things of life. Hyperreality never touches deep. It never touches weighty and meaningful, meaningful things of this life. Here's what hyperreality doesn't think about sin, or death, or alienation, or judgment. It doesn't think about guilt, shame, and fear. Because it's selling you this bill of goods. Go do this, and it's going to make you happy, and you go do it, and you feel anything but happy. You feel guilt, and, and shame, and despair, and disgust. It doesn't think about brokenness or the world's brokenness. It wants to stay on the surface of things like cool and and, and sexy and, and glamorous and hip. But Jesus is the bread of life. He says, I am the bread of life. Jesus is God's answer to all of this. All of this. He's God's answer to this hyper real world that doesn't have the guts or the courage or the substance to ask the questions that need to be asked. Jesus is the bread of life. And he's the answer. In him we have forgiveness. You might be in here and say, you know what, I've bought into this. And maybe by me talking about this you feel intense guilt or shame. Can I be honest with you? That's the exact opposite of what you should feel. Because what does Romans 8.1 say? For those that are in Christ, there is now no more condemnation. Instead of feeling guilt and shame and despair, you know what you should feel? You should feel freedom. Because now you know that you have the opportunity for God to cut deep on your heart and begin to work those issues out and be free of that. Not walk out of here and be guilty and just, Oh, I'm so, I can't believe that I've done this and I've done this and I'm living this. God's graciously come down and he's revealed your heart to you. And that's a gift. Because so many people are so blind in their sin. They're so blind to what's going on that they just never have the opportunity to deal with it. So if you feel in here convicted this morning, don't walk out of here with guilt and shame. Walk out of here in freedom knowing that God's speaking to you. Knowing that he loves you so much that he's showing you your heart. It's kind of, you know, you guys see me, uh, I lead our worship teams at both campuses. And, you know, we have people that come in that want to sing and stuff like that. And, you know, in the church world, you can kind of get this mentality of like, man, dude, their heart is just awesome. Their, their heart is, man, they really want to serve. They, they love you. And they get on stage and they sound like a goose. You know, they cannot sing. And can I be honest with you? When you're in the congregation, you're not just going, oh, my God, their heart is just so beautiful. You're going, tell them to stop singing, right? That's not what you hear. And so if I didn't come to them and lovingly say, hey, listen, um, it's, not, it's not working out. <laughs> don't go try out for American Idol, okay? I don't want to break your dreams, but don't do it. That's the most loving thing that I could do before I would ever let somebody come up here and embarrass themselves on stage. Right? So Jesus is convicting you this morning it's the most loving thing that he could do. Our guilt is removed, our shame is removed. Jesus is wisdom to guide us so that we don't have to live our life in confusion. He is the strength to help us persevere through suffering and through trials. Jesus is ultimately our example. Here's why Jesus is the bread of life. He gives us the assurance that though we die, we will not perish. Though death will one day slay all of us, he will raise us again so that we can live with him for eternity. Here's here's what I love. Jesus is the bread of life and he is the answer to all the questions that the world just can't answer. We have something bigger to live for than than name brands or consumerism or amusement or entertainment. We're part of the kingdom of God. We have something so much bigger and grander to live for. Jesus invites you out of hyper-reality and into God's reality of having Jesus as the bread of life. Having Jesus as the sustainable joy. Consumerism says, I come to Jesus and he gives me what I want. Right? I've got some desires, I've, I've got some cravings, I've got some dreams. And God, I'm coming to you because I want you to fill them. That's what the people in John 6 did. Oh, you broke bread before? You can do that again so we can just follow you and we'll follow you everywhere. and We don't have to work for food anymore. Because we want you not because of who you are. We just want your stuff. That's treating Jesus as a means to your own end. Instead of treating Jesus as the ultimate end. Do you get that? That's saying I'll come to you because of what you'll do for me. God, I'll come to you if you can answer all my questions. God, God, I'll come to you if you can give me what I want. And many of us turn away from Christ in pursuing a relationship with Jesus because he just didn't give us what we want. And how many of you guys know sometimes the best thing in the world for your kids is to not give them what they want? Because if you give them what they want, then they never learn. I think Jesus in a loving, gracious way, does the same thing to us at times. So here's how we should come to Jesus. It's coming to him and saying, I want you. Uh, God, I just, I want just you. You're the bread of life. You're the, you're the food. You're the drink. You're what I want. Many of us kind of envision Jesus as like um, this genie. <laughs> and we can rub the lamp and he comes out and we go, Alright, Jesus, so I don't want this year from you. Alright, I want a bigger house, bigger truck, this is what I want, this is what I, is what I need, I need you to fix this. I need you, uh, I don't have much money in my bank account. Can you can you help me out on that? Instead of coming to him and, and, and going, God, my heart is broken. God, my my desires are wicked. And I want you. I want you. Jesus is not a means to the end. He is the end. He is the end. We should come to Jesus because He is the treasure, He is the prize, and He is the end. No matter what you have to die to or leave behind, no matter whatever you have to forsake or repent of, you want Jesus as your end. That's what it means to fully embrace Jesus, not coming as a consumer, but coming in covenant with him and saying, I want you to be the end of all things for me. And you know what? If you don't fulfill my desires or my dreams, I'm okay with that. But here's the crazy thing is when you jump on board, it's the most exciting, exhilarating thing. And God really does bless you. But if you're just constantly fighting the current of living this life of consumerism or trying to live in this hyper real false world, you're not going to get it. Because remember, culture is selling you a bill of goods that has a shelf life. It has a shelf life. Everything that we work for, everything that we own. Will one day lay to waste. And the only thing that you can take with you is your relationship with Jesus. Embrace Jesus, embrace his mission, and embrace the fact that no matter your guilt, your shame, your past, that there's no more condemnation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that this morning, God, that we have the opportunity to see our hearts revealed. God, I pray for those of us in here, God, that maybe you're convicting, God. God, maybe they see the state of their heart or they they see where they've bought in the hyper-reality. God, I, I pray that they would walk out of here knowing that you are a gracious, loving Father. God, I pray that you would help us to see that you are the end of all things, God, that we don't need to pursue external things, God, for peace or for joy or for happiness, God, that that you are joy, that you are everlasting, God, that you are the bread of life, that we thank you that we can come to you. In Jesus' name we pray.